up, what's up? Welcome to another episode of The Mid. Caleb, what's up, man? Not much. Took a little two-week, well, not two-week hiatus. I guess just one-week hiatus, but it's been two weeks since we talked. Uh, So yeah, we're going to change the format up a little bit to go every other week, right? Yeah, I think uh, doing it every week has become a little bit of a task for me and, uh, you know, well, for us. And um, so we want to make sure that we're doing quality shows. So we think that uh, every other week is probably a little bit better than trying to crank them out every single week. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything special happen in those two weeks? Uh, you know what? It, it Not from a sports standpoint. Um, actually, if you're interested from a sports standpoint, Razorback baseball has been on fire. Um, yeah. We whipped up on uh, Bucknell, who... I thought they were at least a Division One team. Um, we beat them thirty-four to two uh, in Jesus. baseball. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Arkansas is ranked number three in the country right now. Um, so we're pretty good. We're heading to March Madness time. But on another note, man, you guys may hear that I still have this cough that it seems like I've had for you know two months now. It's because it's been like sixty-five degrees one day, and then like we've had rain. I think. 10 out of the last 14 days, including today and including tomorrow. And it's just like, I don't know if I'm in Fayetteville or Seattleville. <laughs> yeah, I had a week off of work and it snowed two days. One of those days it was like eight inches. And then it was like in the 60s two days because uh, that's New England. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, college baseball, I'm pretty excited about college baseball, but that's because I like South Carolina and they've won several national championships in the past 10 years or so so i have reason to care uh but i assume most people don't care too much about college baseball yeah we probably don't ever need to mention it again to be honest with you. <laughs> so, uh, uh all right so we have a, a special guest with us uh today right yes sir um and your co-host from the b-side guys correct yeah, right. So uh, me and Seth uh, run uh, a music podcast together where we uh, play undiscovered music. Uh, basically, the very, very top is like 200,000 plays on Spotify, I think. Uh, and most of them are way less than that. We play several that have less than 1,000, which means that they don't even keep their stats, basically. Um, so yeah, we play undiscovered music and kind of talk about it around a central theme, but, uh, yeah, Seth, uh, how's it going? Doing good. How are you guys? Fantastic, man. I'm glad to have you on. Um, that's actually a pretty cool concept. I, I, uh, I never really knew what your music podcast was about, so that sounds like a pretty cool idea. Yeah, we, uh, we kind of took a little hiatus over the summer with it but uh we kind of started ramping it back up and it's seen some moderate uh success it's it's been good uh people seem to like it and you know definitely the bands seem to like it because most of them no one really reaches out to them that much or a lot of them at least nice um well before we go too far seth i don't know if you know the rules but uh give us your teams man how how uh how do you relate to sports how does sports relate to you it's all uh, it's all North Carolina. I mean, I'm from South Carolina, but we don't really have any sports teams. What the fuck was that? Um, sorry, Alexa just chimed in. It's something I said. Uh, <laughs> something made her freak out. Um, <laughs> probably right. just the audacity that anyone's a Charlotte sports fan. This guy. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> um, so 
I'm not really big into I know being uh, you know 20 minutes from Clemson I'm not a big college football guy I know that's blasphemy around here um, but uh, Carolina Panthers and Charlotte Hornets mainly Charlotte Hornets uh, I keep up with them religiously uh, so Charlotte Hornets it's all the way back to when I was a kid my aunts uh, Aunt Donna and Aunt Linda I know you don't get you don't listen to this but um, if you do that'd be weird but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not big sports fans at all uh, but they took me to a Hornets game uh, basically it was the year <laughs> uh, and and I don't know why uh, why I'm still a Hornets fan but it's the year that they traded away Kobe to get Divac. Um, oh, 1996? Yeah, so I think so, yeah. And um, it, it stuck with me. I mean, you know, everyone remembers their first uh, pro sporting event, or really just sporting event. Uh, so I've been a Hornets fan since then. Uh, I was even a Bobcats fan. It was not fun. but And it's still not fun, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, the you, Panthers. You stuck with them, though. Yeah, and, and that's. I, I remember us playing 2K, and you would pick Charlotte, and I'm like, are you sure? Because I'm gonna pick the the Oklahoma City or you know yeah, it's like the uh, Heat when the, LeBron was yeah, still there. Like, exactly. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I had to. I you know uh, the football. On the other hand, I I I I do like the Panthers. They are my team. Um, but I didn't watch a lot this year. I kept up with stat lines and things like that. But uh, you know, that's those are my two main sports influences. So, uh, growing up, I, um, you know, the, the Grizzlies weren't in Memphis when I was growing up. So, um, I grew up a huge, um, Lakers fan and, um, but not only Lakers, uh, I really loved the NBA as a whole growing up. Um, I loved the Seattle Supersonics. I loved the, uh, the Orlando Magic with Penny and Shaq, um, the Suns with Barkley and, but the Hornets, I, I don't necessarily say – I wouldn't say that I love their team, even though they had a good team when they had Alonzo Mourning before they traded him for Glenn Rice with Alonzo, Grandma Ma, Larry Grandma Johnson, Ma, right. Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry, Rex Chapman. Um, but not only – so I love their jerseys, but I love their court. That honeycomb court with the blue yeah, colored in nice. was my complete, absolute favorite. So when I would play NBA 2K, I would always go and cre- recreate that court. Um <laughs> For the Hornets, I, I I was absolutely in love with the ninety the nineties Hornets, especially when they had Larry Johnson. Well, that's an awkward silence. So yeah, anyway, so, I, mean, I, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> absolutely does. <laughs> um, oh, hold on, are you good, Seth? We lose him. Uh, I don't know, Seth. You there? I heard him say hold on, but I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's abducted. <laughs> he is in the rural south, so you never know. <laughs> it's alien time. <laughs> All right. Oh, hey, I think, there you are. I think, oh, my God, I think we're fine now. Oh, we were talking uh, shit about you. That's fine. <laughs> Said you might have gotten abducted. No, I'm good. I'm here. Um, so 
we ended with Marcus saying he really liked the Honeycomb Court and those teams in the 90s. Yeah, and they've, I mean, they've recreated, I mean, this, that Honeycomb Court is still there now. They just, uh, honestly, they did a lot of preparation for the All-Star Game, uh, you know, coming to North Carolina, what, last year? Um you know, not this past All Star Game, but the previous one. And then, what was that North Carolina bill that just the the bathroom uh, bill? Gendered thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the NBA was like, nah, we don't we don't mess with North Carolina right now. Uh, so they switched the All Star Game over, but the Charlotte fan base still got a lot of cool new stuff, like the new court and then the new. They have a huge jumbotron under. Um, the main the drop down uh scoreboard in the middle of the arena you know i don't know what it's called but um to where you can see if you're on that lower level you can still see you look straight up basically and see this huge screen with uh all the replays and stuff so the the court the jerseys uh and you know really just the arena in general are a lot of fun even if the team is not yeah even if you have to sit and watch dwight howard and kimball walker sounds real awful actually i mean they're they're going off like kimba i mean all-star and then uh and then dwight's what's still at like a 15 13 stat line he's doing what dwight does but uh it's more having to watch nick batum uh you guys paid him a lot of money to do what nick batum does uh, which is not what? a lot. Turn the ball over uh, in the final two minutes of the game um, <laughs> and shoot about 32% from three. Um, so it's, it's pretty awesome. I love it. Um, <laughs> they tried to unload. Do you see, uh, I was just going to say, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel at all? Do you see a movement towards anything good, or do you think mm. you're still going to be here a decade from now? Uh, um well, you're getting a new GM next year, so that's yeah, a start. Yeah, so they're not renewing Cho's contract. Uh, you know, I, I I think that that's good. I think he focused more on his food Instagram than he did the team. Um, he has an Instagram where he just goes around and takes pictures of food, like he's a you know like a 17 year old lifestyle blogger, um, and that has more. Um, he has more posts on that than he does say in the franchise. But I mean, it's, it's someone has to pay. I don't, you know, I think he's more of just the scapegoat than anything, but when a team underperforms, you know, what three years running now, uh, since they, made well, he's been there seven years. So, and, yeah. and they, you know, they've barely been in the playoffs or they definitely haven't been an upper echelon team in the East, which is not asking a whole lot. Right. I mean, the East has been bad for a while. We're not asking you to be, you know, contenders year in and year out. But, you know, if you can build a team in Toronto, you can build a team. I mean, no one's Danny Age up in Boston who's just a wizard. But um, And you don't have LeBron James. But you could be the Wizards who are consistently number four, um, you know, or number three somewhere in that neighborhood just hanging around. I mean, it seems like the Hornets are always fighting around for number six or number seven, which in the East is kind of unreasonable. I think it's – I think a lot of it is – I guess it's Cho and honestly, you know, you guys are gonna get Michael Jordan. hate mail for this, yeah. Uh, but it's it's Michael Jordan, man. He, you know, goat, whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter. Um, 
as a player. He's not a great but he's play, yeah. shit when it comes to he, recognizing talent. I mean, it's Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and this is we could have had Danny Ainge's only terrible move benefit us. They were going to give us like what, four picks or something like that for that Frank Kaminsky pick to get him. Right. And then here we are with Frank the Tank, um, who is great in promotional videos. He's a very funny guy. Um, but he is hes very streaky is a very nice way to put it. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, I and the, the thing is, Jordan loved Kaminsky. He loved him. Like, he was hell-bent on drafting him. And, yeah, as you said, his his draft history, whether or not he's the owner that has much say or whatever the case may be, has been terrible. I mean, you, you go all the way back to the Wizards with Conway Brown. Like, it doesn't – yeah, Michael Jordan, the player, fantastic. Just like Phil Jackson, the coach, fantastic. Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan, the front office people, uh, painful, very at painful. Least, at least he's not – at least Jordan's not trying to make people eat raw meat, right? Like, that's – that's <laughs> – Phil went psycho in New York, I think. Um, he just – I don't know if it was dementia or what, but um, it was it was bad reading those headlines because you remember who Phil Jackson was and then you see, see him now and you're like, man, you should have just – just rode into the sunset. Just retire. Well, it's kind of how I feel about Michael Jordan playing in a uh, in a Wizards jersey. I wish I'd... I mean, now, with that said, that was the only time I ever got to see Michael Jordan in person when he played the Grizzlies as, as a member of the Wizards. But I would happily give up that memory to, to have his final shot be over uh, Byron Russell in the 98 NBA Finals, you know, yeah. to win it all. Like, that that should be everybody on this planet who was alive and a basketball fan in 1998 should be their last memory of Michael Jordan. Well, it's super, it's super tough to walk away. Uh, I mean, we've seen that across pretty much every sport when uh, people don't realize that their time's over. Although... Uh, being topical for a second, uh, looked like Sean White uh, the other day at the Winter Olympics kind of uh, went against the haters or whatever that were saying he was too old. But for every one of those stories you get, you get a Brett Favre or, yeah, Michael Jordan or, you know, insert whoever. Um, I, I, I mean, even as just like someone that never played any professional sport ever in my life, uh, I still miss like playing football or uh, playing, you know, some sort of organized uh, version of a sport. So I get it, but still, you know, like it, it's time to, it, it, you need to know when it's time to go and when it's not. Or as they say, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, guys. So what are we getting into today? We've, uh, I think we've spent more than enough time on the Charlotte Hornets, more than probably anyone else including the Hornets, um, spend on themselves. So what we got? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we do run a uh, music podcast. Do you want to talk a little music? Marcus, yeah. what are you listening to these days? Um, my taste is pretty um, all over the place. It just depends on my mood. I'm a huge fan of, like, actual country music, um, and I'm a fan of, you know, old school R&B, um, but I've 
fallen back in love with today's music, which I, I said I wasn't for a long time uh, because it was so bad. But I, I'm of the mind that the only way to find good music now is through streaming. Um, but if we looked at my recently played list, it would be like uh, alternative R&B, um, something like Sturgill Simpson or Lake Street Drive, uh, maybe a little bit older, like 90s country or some 80s. Uh, or 90s R&B, like I said. So my, I'm kind of all over the map. Um, as far as like today's R&B or hip-hop goes, I really like Majid Jordan and um, Kendrick Lamar, obviously, but it just depends on my mood for the day. Yeah, well, Seth just did some extensive research on uh, country. Do you, Marcus, do you know about the whole uh, honky-tonk Nashville sound split that happened in country, like in old country? I don't. Well, it depends. It depends on... I might... It just depends on, on what you're going to tell me. Cause, so go on. Okay. So uh, Honky Tonk, 40s, 50s, uh, you know, the it was a lot of the nasally country, the, you know, the funky fiddles, things like that. And then Nashville Sound came along uh, led by Chet Adkins. So they replaced everything. It was hard to get a job in Nashville uh, if you weren't a crooner, basically, you know, like uh, – so Elvis, for example, uh, he was honky-tonk, then he was a crooner, uh, going from Blue Suede Shoes to, uh, what is that song called? Uh, Can't Help Falling Can't in, help love. Fall yeah. in Love. Yeah. Uh, or, but then guys like Willie Nelson, it's, so you see the transition into it with Elvis, and then you see the transition out of it with Willie Nelson, where um, right. Willie Nelson started out, you know, clean cut, gelled hair. You know, he's a a guy you could take home to mama, so to speak. Um, and real smooth vocals, a little bit of his flair in there, but still that Nashville sound where they take out basically all of the the fun, uh, you know, and give you that crooning uh, vocals and the take out the fiddle, put in the slide guitar or the the smooth guitars and things like that. Well, um, you might be speaking my language with that because as far like, I mean, yeah, I like Willie Nelson. I love the, uh, my, my era of country is like George Jones, George Strait, uh, Merle Haggard, um, stuff like that. So I, I see what you mean on that part. Yeah. And then, so you see Willie Nelson leads out of it. You see, he becomes the beginning. It was him and, uh, who all was it? Like Hank Williams Jr. Um, yeah, like, him, Hank Williams Jr. Uh, but it was him and uh, Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings. They were like Waylon the three Jennings, guys yeah. that you know basically gave the middle finger to the Nashville sound. Um, outlaw country, basically, and right? And they became outlaw country when they got back to their honky-tonk roots. Uh, and I always thought outlaw country was more about the, uh, you know, Willie Nelson – famous for being perpetually high and i always thought it was for being on the wrong side of the law but it was that and more so uh outlaw country because you know they didn't follow that nashville sound and did their own thing so it's pretty neat i you know i'm not a big country guy but it was interesting reading about it yeah i was about to say uh the two genres you mentioned are probably the two genres we feature the least i mean i like a little bit of each but um I mean, I definitely like hip hop, and we we play a good bit of hip hop actually. But um, as far as R and B and country, I don't really know where to start. If you get past 
1998 or something uh, for either of those, unless, you know, someone just happens to turn me on to something. I do like Lake Street Drive. Um, hey, I'm glad you know who they are. Yeah. Yeah, actually, my uh, band uh, covers one of their songs. Um, uh, you Go Down Smooth, is that one of their songs? I don't know. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I, I'm not going to sing it, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure that that's them. Um, yeah, so we cover one of their songs, but that's pretty much my only exposure to them. But I do like that song. Well, I, I don't know. what the, What's that considered? Like, that, that's not R&B. That's more like like them and uh, what the Ted Adetchi truck band. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like country bluegrass uh alternative rock almost you know like it it kind of blends together a couple different genres i think it's definitely not strictly country in the way that i think of country today if you really want me to go down okay so i i put it with the line of music like are are you guys familiar with the alabama shakes yeah Mm -hmm. like i love the alabama shakes that's another one of my favorites yeah them in concert is yeah incredible it's insane i saw them at boston calling a couple years ago and uh there was like a blood moon behind us. It was actually one of my first dates with my girlfriend and I kind of attribute the whole them and the blood moon and the whole vibe for it, like, you know, being a pretty momentous moment, not to sound super emotional or anything. Um, but it's like, she was insane. Her voice is yeah, Brittany, better than the album. And yeah, it's, it's already insane on the album. It's nuts. Um, yeah. So you talk about the Alabama shakes. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a band called Heim. Um, they're three Jew- Jewish girls out of L.A. Um, Heim. Heim's a good one to, to check out if you're into whatever the hell kind of music they're, they are. Um, <laughs> but so what kind of music do you guys cover? Is it jazz? Is it, you know, tell me a little bit. Uh, it tends to be like alternative rock or indie rock for the most part. Um, we get a lot of submissions from electronic music and we like electronic music, but I we don't play it a whole lot because it's hard to start a conversation about that. Um, but yeah, like singer songwriters, folky stuff, um, and then like indie alternative rock. Um, I'm trying to think of like, we, we don't play, I can't think of any that we play that have become very big yet. Um, but kind of like, uh, I don't know, Seth, who would you compare it to? Um, Avet brothers, some stuff like that, or Mumford and Sons, I guess. Or we do. Yeah. We cover if you're going, a lot of it is stuff like that, like some like Americana, folk, banjo. You know, we like I like that kind of music a lot. Um, and uh, let's see, I don't know. I I would love to get more hip hop on the show, but hip hop is yeah. very tough. We've had a few, but it's it's tough to to. Well, first, it's tough when we find something we like. Like we found uh, Tokyo. I don't know if you've heard Tokyo um last year and we're like oh this is really good uh but and i think he's like about to blow up he's from chicago whatever um but by the time we had reached out to him it was kind of too late um so either it's like soundcloud rap and it sucks or it's (laughs) so good that they are already past us sort of thing or it's Um, just completely off topic like in, in yeah exactly yeah um, yeah, because it all centers around a theme each week, so it, it it also is somewhat dependent on that. I uh, I'm a big fan of like you know some local Memphis rap, like some of my friends are rappers and all that stuff. But for the most part, I've been kind of um, out on the on the rap game for 
a while now. I, I think, you know, I'm, I, I may sound old and crotchety and get off my lawnish, but like, I think music just went to shit for a while. Like for, for a minute, it was just real bad stuff. And, uh, I lost interest. So like my, my playlist didn't get updated till past like 99 or like 98. But then like, there was a good window of music from like 2002, to 2006, you know, um, but so funny story. I moved to Austin back in two thousand nine, and I was told that so oh yeah man, it. yeah. So I but see so here's the thing. I was told that uh, Austin was the music city capital of the world, and I'm like okay, I'm from Memphis, but we'll see whatever. So I moved there, and in my experience, with the exception of uh, Gary Clark Jr., um, yeah, I, I who I saw live before he got really. I mean, he's amazing. Um, it was just a bunch of Mumford and Sons and knockoffs of Mumford and Sons, like Manchester Orchestra, who I actually liked a lot. Um, oh, but you just you oh, just kind of no. talked a lot of shit to both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I liked them a lot, but like I said, I, after once I really started to listen to them, Mumford and Sons, um, Edward Sharp, like it all just sounded the same, and that's what they Austin hipster scene what really was and after living in the midst of it i was kind of out on it uh probably around 2010 yeah i mean i get that although i don't get the manchester uh mumford connection just because i think they're a little bit different sound um but i definitely edward sharp and music is subjective oh it's super yeah definitely but like edward sharp and mumford and sons and all those uh mandolin motherfuckers um <laughs> the little whatever ukulele mandolin uh, hey the mandolin's thing, a beautiful instrument take, thank you oh it is but that <laughs> whole that whole sound did take over for a little while in like a really uh annoying way so i, I definitely get what you're saying there yeah so it was it was kind of tough i i had um i had six so uh when i lived in austin we had a six bedroom penthouse so i had five other roommates three guys, three girls, and, um, they, they were all younger than me, and, um, I was 21 at the time, they were all, like, 19, and so, um, they had a house party where I'd bought the alcohol, and was just like, you know, keep your fucking mouth shut, and don't tell anybody nothing, because <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble, I mean, we lived right off campus, and, um, so I come home, and I knew they were having this party, but I forgot, so I, I, I come, come home, and, um, I, I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget this image of uh, them, like, uh, hipstering around, like, uh, you know, where you lock arms and you go in a little circle, hopping or skipping around. Um, it was to that uh, Edward Sharp song, Alabama, Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, song that everyone knows. Yeah, and it seriously scarred me for life. Like, it scarred me. It scared the, I mean... I, like I just, I still wake up when I hear that song. It's like I get the sweats, and the cops ended up being called because this girl had alcohol poisoning, and I had to leave oh, my Jesus. own house or I'd get arrested because I was the only one over twenty one there. So that whole night was like the culmination of all this stuff, and I left Austin like two months later, and I hated it. <laughs> so it sounds like you have some some real trauma surrounding <laughs> the Austin music scene. Yes. I'll never go back. Hey, uh, Austin City Limits will never get my money, damn it. <laughs> um, are there any festivals or anything uh, near where you're at now? I mean, I know there's Bonnaroo in Manchester, Tennessee or whatever. 
Well, there's always Memphis in May, um, which which is has, uh, I, from my understanding, up until recently, always been this huge festival that happens um, at the beginning of May to where the hottest bands come and, um, like, you know, before they blow up, sometimes when they do blow up, like, I remember my biggest memory of, of actually going to um, uh, Memphis in May was... I think I saw live was Paramore before they really blew up and got big and Haley Williams got obnoxious um, when they were still making, you know, that kind of, you know. Pop punky. Yeah, and it was, it was just a different vibe. They came, uh, Maroon 5, who their first album is one of my all-time favorite songs about Jane. They came, um, Evanescence uh, came, and Amy Lee, her voice kind of blew me away. So, yeah, I mean. Memphis in May, I'm not sure what the hell they call it now. I don't think it's called Memphis in May anymore, but that's the big one that I remember. And I know they do one similar um, in Little Rock, uh, which is about three hours south of me. So um, as far as, you know, Fayetteville is not exactly known here in Arkansas for their for the music scene. But, uh, you know, Memphis is a few hours away and obviously Dallas. Um, you get a lot of good stuff there, too. Yeah, definitely. That that's one thing I kind of miss is drivable uh, festivals like that. And I never went to Bonnaroo while I was in the South, which I wish I would have at some point. Um, but we up here, there's like Boston Calling, which is a, a festival, but it's not really a festival because it's in the city, and you know you would it's you don't camp out or anything. Um, and then there is uh, Firefly, but that's like still eight hours away from me in Delaware or something. Oh wow. Um, so yeah, the, there's you would think that there'd be more up here in the spring and summer, um, but there's really it's it's really kind of slim pickings, at least big ones like that. I mean, I'm, there are a ton of smaller ones. Uh, I think there's like uh, something Woods, which is a big EDM sort of festival, but that's not really my vibe. Um, no, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. So uh, I do miss like being near all that sort of stuff, but at least I'm in a city where you know most bands come by like i went five minutes down the road to see modest mouse a couple months ago so can't nice. really complain yeah i um you know air, living in arizona for the past four years um you know all my friends would go often go to like coachella which was i think was six hours away in california and co- you know festivals for the most part really aren't my my thing I, I you know coachella i never went never really had an interest um smaller festivals i dig but yeah it's something big like Bonnaroo or Coachella um, just was not my scene, man. And, uh, you know, Arizona uh, in particular, the EDM scene there is just crazy because, like, you know, you can go... The the thing I hate about Arizona, like, there there was never... You could be in a, I don't know, a a taco restaurant, and all of a sudden you hear... And you're just like, oh, God, no. You know, like, they're just always ready to rave. At any time, any moment, whether you're floating down the river, whether you're in Scottsdale at a club, whether you're, you know, I mean, for no reason, EDM just floods your ears. And again, it was one of those things to where I got tired of it, man, just burned me the hell out. So, (laughs) um, definitely. No, I mean, I I see like people around here snap stories where they're going to a club with uh, EDM playing like every single night. And I'm just like, dude, that looks exhausting and a little bit miserable to me. Um, Expensive. Yeah, and very expensive. very true, yeah. very true. Um, now, I, speaking a little bit about music and Kendrick and stuff, which you brought up a second ago, I think I talked last show about the Black Panther soundtrack 
and how he was doing all that. Did you guys all see uh, Black Panther over the yes. past two weeks? Or? I saw it uh, Saturday. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was so good. What do you What did you guys think of it? Uh, eh. no, I'm kidding. It was phenomenal. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, <laughs> no, I am. I am seriously just the whitest person on the planet. Like, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I left and I was like, God, like, am I allowed to say for the culture? Because I, I, (laughs) I feel it, you know, like, and it was so, it was so perfectly done. And I, Black Panther, uh, there was, there's this whole backstory before seeing it. This is, uh, and I know this is going to get, I don't know how, how far into like uh, topical things you guys get I don't really know uh but this this guy that is about to be part of uh part of our family he's marrying my wife's cousin uh he's he's a lot of fun um <laughs> he's uh if this tells you anything about his life uh if you go Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but if you go to YouTube, there's a Jerry Springer trailer um, where uh, it's something about macaroni cheese fight or something like that. It's something about fighting in like Velveeta cheese or something like that. Uh, this dude was on that episode. Uh, and what? I, yeah, it's nuts. And I can't find the full-length video. But anyways, that tells you a lot about him. They live in Cincinnati. Um, and he's just a very, you know, he's a tough guy. He likes to be perceived as a tough guy. He's a rapper, and it's, uh, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a SoundCloud rapper. Um, and he just always tries to, like, so he posts this video where he's, uh, he's it's this guy ranting about how, uh, basically fuck Black Panther because you're still giving your money to white people or something like that, and I just didn't understand because you know what's what's his name Kugler Ryan Kugler is the director the screenwriter he's a black guy as well there's two white guys in basically the whole movie and. And he just wants to pick a fight about this movie. And I'm like, dude, I, I'm speaking from a place looking on the outside looking in. So I, you know, I can't speak from experience. I don't know your life. But to me, this looks like progress. And it seems like you don't want to fight progress. You want to get behind it and, and be a part of that change. Um, and he was he was not having it. He was, I, it was just this big thing. So then when I went and saw it, I was like, and then I saw like the people in Africa dancing outside of it. I you know passive aggressively, not really passive. Like the YouTube videos, just, you mean? Yeah, like uh, yeah, more aggressively than anything. I'd like send them to him and be like, yeah, it looks like they really hate it. Um, and I, it just really I don't know. It really drove me crazy. Long story short, well, it's a great film. From from that standpoint, like I understand what he's saying. I think I think that's a very cynical view that I've heard too. It's just like, yeah, I, and uh, you know, as a black man, like I get it. You know, that money isn't going directly towards the black community in the short term, but um, long term, for me, Ryan Coogler, 
the director is from Oakland, so that money is going to go back to Oakland. Um, right. You know, and same with Michael B. Jordan. Um, you know, he, he talked about how much he gives back to his community. Um, so the main actor is actually from our backyard in South Carolina. Uh, like Anderson, yeah. Grew up 20 minutes away from us. So like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's just, uh, you know, I while you can dig into that what you want, I, I think it's a bit cynical. Um, short term, sure. But I think long term, we'll start to see um, that that uh, here's what I think. The movie was fantastic. And um, as a black man, uh, I, I, I have never seen a movie that was so positive for black people like it. It was a movie that had me very emotional, like almost on the verge of tears, because this was the first time that in my 29 years of living, I saw not only black superhero that wasn't goofy, like Blank Man or, uh, you know, or, you know, the Blade movies, whatever, who wasn't right. really a superhero. But, you know, it was these these strong, you know, black men and that were positive, you know, we weren't being portrayed as crackheads and, right. um, you know, entertainers or anything like that. The, you had a black girl who was a scientist, you had beautiful black women who were, who were superheroes and it was very empowering. And for someone who's 29 years old, who has seen a lot of black exploitation films, um, who has seen a lot of, you know, the way black people are portrayed on TV and in movies as, you know, drug dealers, gangbangers, um, thugs, crackheads, drunks, alcoholics, whatever the case may be, deadbeats. This just wasn't that at all. They showed Africa in a positive light. They right. showed Africans in a positive light. And it legitimately had me on the verge of tears because I, and you know, I made this big, I don't post on Instagram often, but I made this post that was like, you know, it's so important for our young black boys and young black girls to um, see that they can not only be superheroes and scientists, but that we have been and always will be kings and queens. And, you know, that movie, it made me so emotional to where whatever flaws it may have about, yeah, it's not going directly to the black community's pocket. I think it's so important to show a generation of young black kids that they don't have to be athletes. They don't have to be rappers. You're, you can idolize a superhero that looks like you. You can idolize queens and scientists and, and engineers who look like you. And so that was my takeaway from the movie, and right. I thought it was beautifully done. And, and you know, I, they, you won't hear me say anything negative about it. Yeah, it seemed like the whole um, point was empowerment. And definitely. so that's, that's why I didn't really understand. And I liked the a lot of people's fault with Marvel movies. They say, well, Marvel and DC, Marvel is obviously the clear winner but um well to me at least but um marvel films they're always just good you know it's a good movie you know you're gonna go and see a good movie but it's never a movie that really takes a stance on anything and this was completely different um right so it was really cool to see but you know what i, I want to say real fast that i i also thought that with a movie like this right i mean we all heard the hype uh, you know, it was an empowering movie for black people. And, you know, it, it legitimately was. That wasn't hype. But the message came across in the right way as far as to where it wasn't a, you know, because there are movies 
to like I mean you can watch a movie like Rosewood or or um, you know anything talking about slave Twelve Years a Slave or um, which Lupita Nyong'o was in uh, or um, you that know that movie was brutal too like, yeah I, I so, actually really like that movie a lot but you look at movies like that right and I you know obviously I won't speak for anyone else but for me and I a lot of people that I know who are, who are black. We leave the theater hating white people for a little bit because you know those sure. are it, it, but but that's what you see. And I think Black Panther did a very good job of like not saying let's alienate or it wasn't hey this is a bad white guy. You know what I mean? Or let's like let's alienate black or white people and let's let's hate them. It wasn't that. It was more the positive of hey this is what's been going on and this africa is not this poor country we have the resources and it was more of a historical thing mm-hmm. and it pointed to all the positives with touching on you know why uh, like you know slavery and and colonialism and all that stuff with touching on it in a in a light to where it didn't really make white people feel uncomfortable or hated and it didn't make black people look at every white person in the theater and be like as a matter of fact, you're right. You know what I mean? So right, right. Um, now I don't know if you guys watched that movie with black people. I can't imagine how you must have felt. But um, I didn't think that it went that way to where the message that they tried to get across was hate, revenge, anything like that. No, I mean, I've, it seemed like the opposite, really, by making the villain espouse those sort of things. Though I do think he was an effective villain. And what I mean by that is all my favorite villains make some good points and you definitely sympathize with them. Um, I was with some people, and they're like, it was a hard. It was really hard to tell the difference between who was who during the last fight scene. You know, when just their suits were lighting up in purple or gold. And I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to. Uh, other than that, but um, I was like, I think that was kind of the point, right? Like that right. it's that it's completely a lot of it's completely dependent on luck and there's not a whole lot of difference between either side uh in this particular um fight and that's the tragedy of it really um and that's the tragedy of uh, a lot of cultural issues that we see today with like black on black violence or whatever um not that i again yeah not that i can speak from any sort of angle of experience but it seemed like there was definitely uh, an attempt at some sort of message or resolution uh, with with that particular argument as well. Yeah, and it kind of had you, like for me, I was more of the um, Eric Killmonger than I was Black Panther, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, I agree with you that, you know, your villains are villains of circumstance and those are the most interesting ones. Right. Um, and... Michael B. Jordan's character was was fantastic, but I also agreed with his side of the movement more than I did with uh, um, T'Challa's side of the movement. T'Challa's side of the movement, and um, right. you know, resources it, worry about ourselves. Don't take it. Yeah, right. right. Well, I mean, early on in the movie, you could even say that he had some Trump characteristics as far well, as isolationism and stuff like that. I mean, I think he came around. Uh, obviously, but I think that there was a there was a throwaway line that wasn't a throwaway line at all, where um, someone was saying something about taking on refugees, and right. uh, someone on the council said, "If you bring in refugees, you bring in their problems." And I was like, "Wait, yeah. did that just come from a Trump speech just now?" Like, 
um, there's definitely uh, a little bit of that too. Though I think um, they were trying to set him up as more of a uh, Martin Luther King foil to a Malcolm X or something. I'm, you know um, what? What makes me so happy is that w- that was the actual parallel that was getting ready to come out of my mouth. Was you had Martin Luther King who was uh, T'Challa, and then you had um, Malcolm X who was Eric Killmonger, like. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with like the autobiography of Malcolm X, and uh, and this, uh, of course, I mean, we're, hell, we're in Black History Month, so we can talk about it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, Martin Luther King was seen as you know, in Malcolm X's eyes, like an Uncle Tom or a guy who actually was not for the black community; that right. he just wanted to, um, you know, be a little bit softer and and rationalize with white people as opposed to do what's right for all the struggling african-americans in the country and around the world um and so yeah that parallel was exactly what i took from the movie um well i think as a as a culture we've tried (coughs) to uh raise we as in like whoever writes the textbooks in texas or whatever you know uh have tried to raise up Martin Luther King as the hero of the civil rights movement and kind of been like, Oh, and Malcolm X, he was a bad guy, a radicalized Um, Muslim. Right. right. But that's, that's, that's completely, uh, framing the story in a way that's advantageous to, you know, the powers that be or whatever, because the powers that be don't want to, uh, make a hero out of the dude that said violence is sometimes an option. Right. Well, but, and what's funny is that later on towards the end of Malcolm X's life, he started to shift more towards the line of thinking that Dr. King had, and Dr. King started to shift more towards the line of thinking that right. Malcolm X had, and that's exactly what you saw in the Black, Black Panther movie, that they came to an understanding, and I think, you know, they really saw where each other was coming from. And, you know, I, I don't want to spoil the scenes, but... Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was that direct parallel. And I, I'm sure Ryan Coogler, I mean, that that surely wasn't on accident. But sure, no. um, for anyone uh, who knows history, probably caught that as well. Now, another thing that I didn't think was on accident, and again, going to try to leave out spoilers as I say it, but you guys will know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's a scene near the end where two different sides uh, of African warriors are fighting um, and one side is wearing red garments and one side is wearing blue garments. That seemed like an intentional choice to me as well, as far as the whole Bloods and Crips, uh, right. like gang violence sort of thing. Um, Not realizing if... we should be fighting for the same cause. <laughs> exactly, right. Um, so anyway, really well done movie. I thought uh, it was written very well. And like you, like we just pointed out, a lot of very intentional but subtle um directorial choices that really just made it a, a classic i mean it's one of the best it it's probably my second or third favorite superhero movie now behind uh the dark knight and that's with me out with with me not having any sort of cultural reason for that to be you know right yeah i'll probably have to watch the movie again to be honest with you just because i went in um and was on this high the entire time, uh, and I had this pride of like, as I said, love seeing you know the the strong black male characters, the beautiful strong black women characters, and like being in that environment. I don't think that like I really went and took in the movie as I should have, like just 
from a film perspective because there 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 were so many parts to where as I said I got I kind of got emotional because I was just so taken aback by how far and how progressive this movie was for the black community so um you know it's not that I didn't pay attention to the movie I certainly did but I want to see it again now that I know and maybe I have all the those emotions and that sense of you know pride out of my system to where like this movie is everything that I want it to be and this movie made me feel some type of way but I want to go in and, and rewatch it and catch it from okay let's watch it as a film very objectively like I would watch The Dark Knight or like I would watch Logan or something like that right I think is there anything else that you wanted to talk about Seth on your <laughs> on your sports podcast yeah um no, we, you know, I, I, I like the format of, you know, 15 minutes to sports and 30 minutes plus to, to other stuff. I, you know, I, 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 I'm not a huge, so this is actually more right up my alley. Um, but if you want to do a little tie-in, um, this is a, uh, perfect, we're talking about race. Uh, the Cavs, did you see that they banned a fan? forever for yeah. the racist remarks to patty mills who they were i i guess i'm just confused i don't know patty mills backstory i guess like i should but they called him a jamaican dog i believe and i always thought i mean i know he's directly australian but i don't know where like at what point are his parents from jamaica does anyone know i have no idea I don't know. Yeah, I've always just known him as Australian. You know, it's just bizarre that in a city like Cleveland that has a very strong and high uh, black population, I mean, that just <laughs> that's right. a silly thing to do, man. So, okay. Um, oh, now I'm on Wikipedia. I, okay. He was born <laughs> in Australia. Um, his mother is an Aborigine and his father really yeah and his father is from the Torres Strait Islands part of Queensland Australia so I don't know where Jamaican I guess you know and and he responded and said you know I'm I'm a proud islander like my Jamaican brothers me Hmm. and my family Hmm. in the islands of the Torres Strait have experienced racial slurs for decades so the full the full quote was Hey, Jamaican dog, they want their bobsledder back. Jamaica just called, they want their bobsledder back. So he's, uh, so that's just an ignorant form of, I mean, well, I mean, all hate speech is ignorant, but um, he's from. Do you think the, it's just because of the dreads or something? Like I guess, because he's from the Torres Straits, apparently, which is what I'm reading here, which is clearly not Jamaica. Um, so Strange. Maybe, maybe just because of the dreads, I don't know. Um but either way, I mean, there's no place for it, man. I mean, exactly. it's just that's insane. That is insane. He, he's lucky all he did was get banned. And, you know, <laughs> I, I here's what I think with stuff like that, with some of the fans, I just think that there should be a Ron Artest at every single arena and stadium <laughs> and something like that. You just get a guy who's going to run and beat your ass. And, uh, Dude, that's everyone needs a goon. Just the guy who's going to come in and destroy you if you talk yeah, you, shit. You see them running into the stands and, you know, the camera pans, and they're like, oh, well, 
there's our one ass beating for the for the day, or you know, and it's just like, and then it goes right back to the game. You don't even address it after that. Yeah, um, you every, just every, say, you know, oh, that fan must have had that coming, and then yeah. anyway, LeBron James with the dunk. <laughs> I know, and I I wish it was guys like if Demarcus Cousins wasn't so good. I wish he would do that regularly. I mean, I know he gets in people's faces and gets texts regularly, but I would love to see him just start wailing on somebody. Um, that's a big dude. And then yeah. Stephen Adams would be my the dude I would probably be the most terrified of. Well, he's probably James, a dude you don't want to be messing with. I guess James Johnson because he's he's an actual black belt, right? Yeah, um, another dude you don't want to mess with. <laughs> but but Stephen Adams, yeah, the youngest of thirteen kids grew up in New Zealand or something like that. It's an absurd amount of kids. So you know that dude fought every day of his life. <laughs> yep. I love how this has just turned into ranking the NBA player you'd like to fight the least. Who would it be? Uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I Stephen yeah, Adams is definitely up on that those, list. Those are good. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, let's see. I mean, pretty much all of them have a crazy reach on me <laughs> but yeah, just because of their height so i'm not sure i would want to fight any of them because i can't even get close enough to them every single one of them would kick my ass guaranteed but <laughs> um the one who i think would maybe just kill me is probably steven adams uh i mean that dude look in his eyes that dude's killed before <laughs> <laughs> oh man and he just they just throw him into the ocean in new zealand I'm pretty sure he's starring in Aquaman, so I'm, I think that's him. I mean, you know, so <laughs> might as well be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, dude, that guy's that guy's a beast. Jason Momoa or whatever. Yeah. Um, Mar- married to one of my childhood boos, Lisa Bonet from the Cosby oh, Show. I did not know that. Huh. Hey. Uh, I just know him from Game of Thrones, and uh, he climbs. Like, I rock climb, and so I see these random videos sometimes of him rock climbing that show up on, like, climbing subreddits and stuff. <laughs> there's Which, climbing yeah, subreddits yeah i know climbing there, there's the rankings. there's everything subreddits man yeah i that's that's a that's a story for another time i i, I could see this starting to go down a real dark path with all the uh subreddits out there yeah rule 34 um <laughs> all right well, i don't know what that is, is. Oh, you, uh, hey you're better off for it man okay i sorry i, I shouldn't tell dude. you don't uh i'm good okay all right uh well ignorance is i think uh that about does it yeah yes sir so we'll be back in uh two weeks a couple weeks uh we've got a couple good guests lined up for you over the next month or so um and that'll be that on that we'll talk to you then yeah thanks for 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 for